0: Our passage for this morning is taken from the book of Esther, chapter two, verses nineteen to chapter four, verse seventeen. We can find it in in our church Bible in page three hundred ninety-seven. But we will read chapter two to twenty, verse twenty-one to chapter three, verse eleven, and chapter four, verses nine to seventeen. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Circus. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found out to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman son of Hamidatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all other nobles. All the royal officials at of the king's gate kneeled down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials at of the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command?" Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were... He scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Circus. The twelfth year of King Circus in the first month, the month of Nisan, the poor, the the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Circus, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not disobey the king's laws, and it is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give ten thousand talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury." So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamitha, Hamedatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Chapter 4, verses 9 to 17. Hathak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then they, he, she instructed him to say to Mordecai All the king's official and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king is in the inner court without being summoned the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king int- intends to uh, extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives but 30 days have passed since i was called to go to the king when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai he sent back this answer do not think that because you are in the king's house you alone of all the Jews will escape For if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance for the jews will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this then esther sent this reply to mordecai go gather together all the jews who are in the susa and fast for me do not eat or drink for three days night or day i and my attendants will fast as you do When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Ariel, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, we, we will go through once again uh, big chunks of the Bible, so uh, they are at the back, uh, do ha- pick one up and let's go through it together, and if you haven't listened to last week's sermon, um, do listen to it, it has sort of, it sets the setting uh, for today's, uh, today's text, but let's pray, most importantly, God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you so much for your, li- your word is living and active Uh, Lord, we pray that it will now shape the way that we think about the world, the way that we live our lives, uh, that we might live for your glory, we might live courageously. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, If you think about your life in this way, uh, your life is sort of some of all the choices that you've made, aren't they? Life is full of important choices, whether to move to Hong Kong or not, uh, which university to attend, uh, which job to take, who to marry, whether to have and when to have children. All these choices have made you who you are. I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't move to the US or to Hong Kong or study theology, married Mary, I came to Shatin Church. It's impossible to imagine who I would be without making those choices. They have become part of me. And of course, some decisions are easy, but some decisions are really difficult. And one of the most more difficult decisions that you have to make are some of these ethical decisions. And some of these ethical decisions make an indelible mark, indelible mark on your character, on who you are. And and they're often like that because, and we're forced to make these things uh, partly because we live in this fallen world, a sinful world. It forces us to make difficult decisions. And I don't know how old Mordecai was in this story, but it seems to me that most of his life, he avoided making these difficult decisions. He compromised and lived a cushy life as a result. And we see him in chapter 2, verse 19, sitting at the king's gate and he's not a beggar there. The phrase implies that he was a civil servant working for the king. Maybe in the courts, maybe in the administration, he was a civil servant living there. And that makes sense of how, um, uh, how then he was able to listen on a, a, a plot by two of the royal uh, officials. Officials to assassinate, these assassination plot to, to, kill, king, to kill King Xerxes. Assassinations didn't, happen every day, but it did happen pretty often. In fact, King Xerxes died uh, by, uh, he was assassinated in his bedroom in 465 BC. And so as he was working, he overheard the plot. So he reported to the queen, Queen Esther, and then the uh, queen reported it to the king. The plot was foiled. These two officials were, uh, were impaled on stakes and these acts were recorded in king's annals. But Here's what happened to Mordecai next. Nothing. Nothing happened to Mordecai. So chapter 2 tells a story, but chapter 3 starts a different uh, story, right? He wasn't summoned to the palace. He wasn't honored in any way. The king just forgot about Mordecai, and the life just went on, which is why the next section is so jarring and difficult, uh, because we read in chapter 3, verse 1, after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Amazim, Hamedatha, the Agagite, and everyone was told to bow down to him. Where Mordecai should have been honored, it's Haman who's, who actually rises to prime ministership. And this, that's not just a snub, it's much worse considering who Haman is. Haman, we're told, is an Agagite. And if you're a Bible buff, you know that King Agag was the king of Amalekites, who was at war with Saul, King Saul. They fought. And not only that, the Amalekites were sworn enemies of the Jew. If you go back all the way to the story of Exodus and where Israel comes out, Amalekites are the first ones. Uh, the, The dubious distinction of having attacked Israel, God's people, and therefore, God says in Exodus chapter 17, 16 that they would be completely wiped out eventually, but that Israel would be at war with them for generations. They were sworn enemies of the Jews. And by the way, we were told in chapter 2 verse 5 before last week that Mordecai was a Benjamite, right? He's from the same tribe as Saul, uh, the king that went to war against Agag. Mordecai couldn't bow down to this man Was a Jew, he doesn't just want to kill Mordecai, he wants to kill all of the Jews. So he went to the king and he convinces him, chapter 3, verse 8, and on, that Jews were dangerous separatists, people who didn't obey the king's laws. And then he offered a bribe, 340 tons of silver, hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars, right? Uh, To convince the king, and the king's convinced. He doesn't even take the money, the royal decree goes out in his name, to the ends of the empire, that Jews would be destroyed, young and old, women and children, on a single day. And that's the grim turn of events that we see in this story. But if you imagine, actually... Often our life is like that. The world is like this. We saw how sinful the world was last week, and this is just a continuation of that story of how sinful the world is. Injustice is the way of the world, while Mordecai, who actually served the country by saving the king, is overlooked. And this, this evil man, this evil man uh, who's, who's not above bribing uh, the, the king with the enormous sum of money to have the privilege of killing people Right? This proud man who lies rises to the top, to the second highest position of power. Genocide is about to begin. Friends, this is what God's people have faced, living in sinful world, injustice, terrible things that are happening around the world, and persecution for being God's people. It happened to the Jews and it happened to Christians. The world isn't our home. And Jesus had predicted this. As Jesus goes away, right? He prays his prayer and he shares it with his friends in John 15:18 to 19. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world and that is the why, that is why the, the world hates you. From very early on, Christians were persecuted for their faith. Uh, Nero blamed this fire on the Christians. The, uh, Dimitian, uh, Emperor Domitian per- actively persecuted Christians. Some, some emperors demanded respect by issuing a decree that offering an in- offering of incense must be paid to them in their honor, burnt in their honor, and Christians refused, and they were fed to lions as a result of it. And that's not just ancient history. The persecution continued throughout history, didn't it? And it, it happened in the modern time as well. The previous century, the 20th century, actually was the bloodiest time for Christians with the rise of communism and fundamentalist Islam. Did you know that once in the beginning of the turning of the century, the, the, the beginning of the century, 20th century, in the early 1900s, 30% of Turkey was Christian. 30%, then 2 million ethnic Armenian Christians were then killed for their faith. Idi Amin in Uganda targeted and killed 300,000 Christians. 1.3 million Christians were killed in Sudan in the late 90s. Many Christian brothers and sisters live in harsh reality even today. In the Middle East, actually not that far. In the up north as well. Even in the mainland, even as Christians in China pray for the country and want prosperous country for uh, for China, the government knows that their ultimate loyalty lies somewhere else. It lies with God. And so they're threatened. And time to time, the heavy hand of the government comes down. And don't be surprised. If that time comes to Hong Kong in the future as well, we're not at home here. This, isn't, this world is not our home, not our ultimate home. Sometimes we will be hated. And it doesn't have to be on the government level, right? If we are a people whose ultimate loyalty lies to Jesus, to a different king, then there will be a time when you will be at odds with your friends, with your colleagues, with your boss, with your company, with your family, and you might be singled out. What do we expect, I wonder? What do we expect as we live in this world? Do we expect to be comfortable? Do we expect to be loved? Or do we expect to be out of our home, uh, sometimes hated for our faith? Friends, don't be surprised if the world hates you. When this news came, news of genocide came, Mordecai and all his friends, mourned, fasted, wept, and wailed. They lay in sackcloth and ashes. But Esther, as we come to chapter four, we see Esther sitting on the fence. She doesn't know what to do. Through one of the eunuchs, Morde- Mordecai tells her, te- tells, tells her Haman offered, uh, tell, through, Mor- through the eunuch, Mordecai uh, tells Esther how much Haman offered to kill all the Jews and gives her a copy of the royal edict and explains to Esther that this was her time to go and plead with the king. But then look at Esther's answer in chapter 4, verse 11. She says she can't do it. She says she can't do it. The first, first, the king is not somebody that she can actually go and approach. Even as a wife, she, could, she didn't have access to the king. You had to be summoned by name, by the king, in order to see the king. And only the seven, the royal advisors, of which one, uh, Haman is one, only they could go to the king without an appointment, without being summoned. And if she goes to the king and the king does not approve, then she would be killed. And remember what happened to Queen Veshti. She was disposed. Not only that, she adds, she hasn't been summoned to the king for the, the, the last 30 days. And remember, the king doesn't sleep alone. She's, he's got a, a whole harem of women. What she's implying is that after five years of marriage, she might have fallen out of favor. That she doesn't have, she, she doesn't have the clout to approach the king. But Mordecai, isn't convincing. He sent back his answer in verse 13 and on. He tells her that she's not safe either. That she, Was she not a Jew herself? Does she think that somehow she will escape? He almost seems to threaten her next, right? Which, uh, he tells her that the Jews will somehow be delivered. But when this happens, if Uh, If you do nothing, you and your uh, father's house will be killed. And finally he asks, And who knows but you, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. If you think about Esther, the narrative so far, Esther hasn't made a single decision. She, She did what she was told by Mordecai by Hege, remember, the, 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 the leader of the, the king's harem, by the king, by the circumstances. The moment has come. She needs to make a decision. What will she do? And she decides to act. She won't hide her identity anymore and she will plead her case with the king. When the test came, she answered the test. Esther sent a reply and asked all the Jews in the city of Susa to, to uh, fast for three days. And when that's done, she will go to the king, even if it's against the law. And she famously adds, if I die, I die. I wonder if you've been in a similar position. I don't mean that you had to save a whole race of people from extinction, from annihilation, but that you had to make a decision to stand for your faith or not, to show your true colors or not. Once again, I think we are not so much like Daniel, but we are more like Esther and Mordecai. We don't live very courageously in this world. Often our lives are indistinguishable from our non-Christian friends and family. We work long hours in Hong Kong like everybody else. We drink like everybody else. Many of us might flirt like everybody else. We spend our time and money like everybody else. The first thing to go out the window when we get busy is life with the church, life with other Christians, a time with God. We don't necessarily hide the fact that we are Christians, but if it doesn't come up, well, it doesn't come up. We don't talk about it that much. But then there comes a day. There comes a day when we have to choose to lie or not to lie to your boss, to, to marry this non-Christian boyfriend that you've been dating or not. The colleague that you've been flirting with comes onto you and says, I, it doesn't matter to me. Perhaps it's a moment where your boss tells you, you know, your priority really is the work, isn't it? Isn't it? And you, it becomes clear to you that you've never made that choice clear to them, to, the, to your boss or even to yourself, that God is your priority. What will you do? because the choices that you make will define you, perhaps not just for that moment, but for many, many years to come, maybe perhaps for the rest of your life. Will you choose to identify as God's people? Will you count yourself as among God's people and live differently? Or will you choose the way of the world? You see, the message of Esther is that that, sovereign, that this sovereign God will work through the choices that you make. That's one of the reasons why God's not mentioned, right? Because you have to choose to live for God in this world, even if God seems absent. Our choices matter, so don't let these opportunities to be vehicles of carrying out God's will, to bless others around us, don't let them pass. Perhaps breaking up with your non-Christian boyfriend will actually encourage him to seek God. I've seen this happen. People becoming Christian as, you, as people broke up with them. Perhaps your decision to tithe will be used to bless ministry in, in ways that you couldn't, you couldn't have imagined. Perhaps you letting your boss know that God is your highest priority will be used to change the culture of your company. Perhaps God has put you to Hong Kong in your company, in your family, in Shatian Church, in whatever circumstance that you are in, not just for that one grand moment that will change things, but for many, many different moments where you will stand for God and be used to bless others, to carry out God's will in Hong Kong, in your friends, in your company, wherever you are. Friends, living in this world, in, in this fallen world, we will be forced to choose God or the world. Will you choose to be his, the vehicle of his blessings, of his will. Esther did turn, right? At the end of the day, she did turn, even at the risk of death. She said, if I perish, I perish. But then there are reasons why that was able to happen. Perhaps Esther saw God in what Mordecai was saying verse 14 if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance for the jews will arise from another place mordecai doesn't explain how the jews will be saved but he seems to be confident that the jews god's people will be saved That yahweh god will somehow be faithful and deliver them perhaps she believed in mordecai's uh, that god is sovereign god uh, that he will deliver his people perhaps she also believed in mordecai's encouragement Maybe it's God who put you in your position of power and influence. God led you to this moment, the moment of your salvation, not just for your soul, but the salvation of your, uh, God's people. And they were right. As with last week, as we have seen last week, God is at work behind the scene, even if it's not mentioned. He's in the background. Think about it. Back in chapter 3, when Haman casts a lot of poor, um, as we'll see, uh, verse 7, uh, to consult God to determine what the propitious time to kill the Jews would be. It's a bit like Chinese custom of going to uh, the fortune teller to determine the date to get married, right? Uh, Haman wanted to consult God to determine the best time to kill the Jews. But you see, when Haman went to God, Haman, I mean, uh, God gave an answer. Uh, we see uh, that, that the lot fell on the 12th month. He went on the first month. Uh, he, uh, the lot fell on the 12th month, uh, giving 11 months right, for the situations to change. Not only that, if you look at chapter 3, verse 12, to see when this edict of genocide goes out, it was a special day for the Jews. It was on the 13th day of the first month, which, which for Jews uh, would be very special. It was the time of the Passover. It's the eve of the Passover. The sentence of death is sent out on the eve of the commemoration of God's greatest rescue of God's people. Is it just a coincidence or is it God's way of reminding them? Actually, Haman has sent this out to you, but there is a deliverance coming. It will not end the way that Haman thinks it will end. See, there are hints of God's hand even in these dark chapters because God's sovereign. Actually, knowing the full story, knowing that God is sovereign should help us to make courageous choices, to live differently. right? To know that all of these things have been arranged, the people that we meet, the decisions that we have to make have been arranged by God for us. It should give us confidence. Well, not just that. Not just that God rules this world, but we can have confidence in our choices because of the gospel, because what Jesus has done for us. As Christians, we can walk away from popularity and recognition because we know that we're honored beyond our imaginations as, as daughters and sons of God. We can walk away from security of having a steady income if it ever comes to that. If we realize, only if we realize, that our security is not in our bank account, in the fat, or uh, in, 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 the, in the job, but with God who controls the future. We can be radically generous to the people around us, as some of you are, only if we know that Jesus has given us much more and he has much more in store for us. We can walk away from power. Well, if you weren't paying attention, (laughs) apparently God wants you to hear this message. (laughs) We can only walk away from power if we know that when his kingdom comes, the last will be first and the first will be last, we can only be able to say, if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. Only when we know that in Jesus' life, not just life in this world, but eternal life to come. You see, because of Jesus, the one who was tested, who went to the cross and died for our sake, We can live a courageous life in this world, friends. Who knows? A time of persecution might be coming to Hong Kong. It's here already for many people. Tough choices are coming. Many of you face them every day. But Christ has given us so much more. God, who is in control, became a man and died for our sake. And I hope you'll say every day, knowing that God has given you much more than you ever need. If I die, I die and choose to be an instrument of God's blessing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he came and identified as one of us. We thank you that he was tempted in every way but did not sin. We thank you that for him it wasn't if I die, but I came to die and give my life as a ransom for many. And we thank you that in Christ we have abundance of life, that in Christ and through the scripture that we see that you are God who is in control over the sinful world. Lord, help us to not shrink in fear. Help us to identify as your people. Help us to live courageously. Help us to be instrument of your will and blessing over this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.